One of the biggest struggles for early stage software companies is pricing. What do we do with our pricing? What if we go too high and nobody buys? What if we go too low and we don't make enough money? What? Ah! Pricing is a struggle. Fortunately, I had Chris Mealy. He came on the show. He's from Software Pricing Partners. And that's what he does is help people understand how to price accurately, how to make sure you're not missing out on anything. And there's a lot of complexity to it that sometimes we don't think about and we make a lot of mistakes as software founders. So I know I have, and I know many people out there have. Check this out. I think you're going to like how you can structure your pricing in maybe a different way than you've thought of before. I think you'll like it. Welcome to Sastery in the Making, the podcast that features the people who made the software world what it is today and the leaders who are shaping the future of technology. Here's your host, Matt Wallach. Hey, welcome. Super excited to have you here. Thank you for coming. Really appreciate it. Now, I am really, really looking forward to today's guest. I've got Chris Mealy with me, and this is something that is so important as you're getting started within your company or even as you're in your growth phase and you're really taking off pricing. Pricing is critical and knowing how to price correctly, knowing how to avoid pricing mistakes is unbelievably important. And it's something that a lot of my clients ask me about. I'm so excited to talk to Chris Mealy today. Chris is an expert around pricing. Chris, how you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, Matt. Absolutely. Let me tell everybody about you, Chris. So Chris is the managing partner at Software Pricing Partners. The name sounds it all or says it all right there. What they do, they help software companies outmaneuver competitors by exposing and applying more strategic approaches to monetization. I'm really looking forward to diving into that. He's also formerly the CEO and co-founder of a SaaS company, Companion Cabinet Software. He's really privileged to have worked with, helped grow an amazing team that developed an award-winning number one business management ERP solution in the remodeling industry. So, so, so glad to have you here, Chris. Once again, thanks for coming on the show. You're very welcome. So tell me, what's going on with you lately and what's coming up? Well, uh, uh, maybe the best way to start is uh, maybe uh, unlike a traditional consulting company, we have quite a bit of tech. Uh, and so what that means is we're kind of a hybrid. We're a little bit of a software company and part consulting company. And so that's how we do what we do in pricing. It's a lot of modeling and it's a lot of homework. And of course, one of the, the mistakes that I made early on was, you know, you sort of launch a new product and you get really excited. Back back then I was on-prem software in 2008. We were going to the cloud uh, in 2000 and right before the market crash. Uh, and that uh, took us... I think it was like a year to do the security. And I think you mm -hmm. can do that in a couple hours now in AWS, just to so give you funny. kind of a feel <laughs> for the Lego the pieces parts were there, but they weren't quite as amazing as they are now. And so yeah. that transition that we went through, we actually ended up hiring software pricing partners because we made some mistakes. And one of the mistakes that I made was we just kind of made up the pricing because we felt like, you know, that's kind of like what would work. And we really miss hit on some key transactions that probably should have been five to 10 times the size that they were. And the little thing that I'll start with as the nugget of the big lessons learned was don't forget about services. And mm -hmm. I think in the effort to get SaaS and get people up and running, we kind of just figured services were all included, implementation services, support services, and a transaction was, 30 grand a year really could have been a couple of hundred thousand. And of course we were raising capital on my equity money, my equity stake. Uh, and so that was 
that was a really expensive mistake. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Ended up being uh, really expensive. Yeah. No kidding. And it's something I think a lot of people don't do. Do you, do you, when you help out, are you seeing, do you, are you, I don't know if you track it. Is there a percentage of software companies who have a setup cost or a services cost versus those that don't? Well, so this, this is an interesting topic, right? It's best practices. And, and there are some best practices, but unlike in maybe a B2C setting, and we were talking about planes, trains, automobiles, that kind of stuff. Uh, this is intellectual property. And so intellectual property is an idea. The product itself is a bunch of usually code and obviously infrastructure. And so you can kind of do whatever you want. Now, in general, you should charge for all of your IP. And I think that where we really made the big hiccup, Matt, and what I now fully understand, but at the time did not, is that intellectual property can be delivered in a lot of different forms. Mm-hmm. I was very focused on the product form, you know, the features and the things that our software did. It never really dawned on me that intellectual property was contained within the services that we do, because like many software companies, if you're not a point solution, then you're implementing some behavior change. And that behavior change is usually because some workflows and other things that might be in the background that are getting redesigned. And of course, in order for you to redesign a workflow, you kind of have to understand that customer's business, what's optimal, what's not. And that is your expression of your know-how, your intellectual property, and you can charge for that. And there's many different gradients of that, of what that looks like. You know, there's implementation, there's support, there's professional services, but you have a lot of IP know-how tucked in there. And so to charge for that, in relationship to the software fees is, is totally fine. And we have customers whose software access fees pale in comparison to the services. So think like a million dollars to kind of configure the software, get it in, and then maybe they pay a couple hundred grand a year in the software ongoing fees. And then vice versa, we have a, we have companies whose lion's share of the transaction is software access fees with a little bit of services and everything in between. But I think the big finding is charge for all of your intellectual property. And there's a third bucket, which is really interesting, and that's called insights. So imagine that you and I had a software company and we analyzed our customer environments. This is actually a real story uh, from a, um, a software company where if you were, if you and I were recruiting, uh, we, we wanna buy technology to help us find and place a position that we have. So if you want to hire an enterprise architect here in Charlotte for serverless technology, let's say, you know, you can count the number of individuals that would be available on one hand. There's just not a lot. I actually know them all by name and good Mm -hmm. luck getting them. I mean, they're just, you're just not, it's going to be very hard for you to extract that. So what they do is they analyzed customer environments and looked at how people flow from different states into those jobs. And it turns out that if you're targeting somebody who went to school at UNC Chapel Hill or UNC Charlotte, went to college here in the US or Duke, and they're like in another county or another state, or they're on the West Coast, and they're married, and they're in a happy position, not even looking, they're four times more likely to move back to their college hometown than they would Hmm. be otherwise. And so that's an example of something that could be extracted as a feature, maybe introduced into some higher level offer, like an enterprise edition, and you can charge for that. So, so if you really just sit back and think about like, well, what's all the stuff that is in that intellectual property, your, your job, unlike the, the car or the plane example is, you know, 
to broaden the horizon of all the different forms of things that you do. And monetization is about capturing all of the intellectual property. And I use that IP term very specifically because you're not monetizing software. I, I thought we were pricing software, right? So I missed out on services and these other aspects of things that you could charge for. And it, it's all in there and you can charge a premium for that. I love it. I've, I know I've missed out on it several times as well with many of my companies. What are some of the biggest mistakes that that leaders are making around their pricing and what what are they missing? Well, I, I think that probably the biggest mistake was on par with, so when we started, it was the late 90s and my software company. So we were all on-prem and we couldn't ship a product on time and we were having a brutal time at it you know and and engineers and software uh, but we just couldn't quite pull it together so we and this is before product management was this huge discipline and this was kind of the time when you could build it and and they would come and thankfully mm -hmm. uh, uh they came and the the thing that you're trying to do is to zero in uh, on what we now know as a very agile like process and agile has wonderful estimation uh, characteristics where we build libraries of things that are similar and we kind of know how long things take and that problem that we were trying to solve was we just wanted to ship on time and so we got into agile and and, and product management over the next decade would bloom into this unbelievable discipline and it's a lot like that with pricing so pricing is a real science there's also aspects to that that carry with it good judgment but it is a soon to be dominant part of the business model if you have a software company is to treat that more on par with product management so that you're making decisions about how you might put an offer together a good better best or a basic pro advanced or not a lot of people think you need three you know choices you don't you, you can have one that that's that sometimes is the best right people want an all-in-one solution and so you're trying to to come up with the the idea that when you build your business model just like you would spend a lot of money in product management and management of that you really have a product that's always changing so if it's always changing the assumption is it's changing for the better and in increasing value so we should have processes around the idea that we would revisit the price alter the packaging change the way that net prices are calculated change the way that incentives are structured or presented to customers today's 5% volume incentive might only have to be tomorrow's 3.5%. And how do you hmm. know what that right number is? And that just means that you have a perspective on your value before we put the pizza under the door and get the code back. You know, during the design process, we have a roadmap and our problem that we, we eventually solve through Agile, hmm. and you can kind of think of pricing in the, in the same kind of way, is if I could understand how long something took, then I could estimate the cost and I could bounce that maybe against a forecast where if I invest a quarter million to build this feature, then I would hope to get a return on that. And we got very mm -hmm. good at uh, measuring that. Well, with monetization, if you had the appropriate ability to model, uh, and, and again, this is kind of what some of the software that we have does to figure out, like, if I built this, who would buy it? What, what might they pay? And what would the revenue, not the list, but the net price extraction of that you know, if you're using a consumption model and you had a, a thousand units or 10 units, like what, what do you get out of that deal? Hmm. If you kind of had an angle on that, you could imagine that during the, the planning of the roadmap, you might reorder some things, right? Because this thing that you're going to do second, if you did it first, would unlock three times the amount of revenue production. And so why not? And in fact, sure. that's what we do with our customers. And that 
that prioritization of the roadmap is where monetization connects into at the very start of that product management process. And then of course it glues a lot of other things together that we can talk about, but I, that concrete gluing point on the way in which we plan what we're going to build was a real aha for me because I, I actually ended up hiring software pricing partners in um, it was 08 when we moved into the cloud. Wow. So you ended up, you, up here. Yeah. That's amazing. So you hired them and now you're managing partner. That's kind yeah. of a, a, a fun route, I bet. But you, you said something earlier that I, that I, you know, really want to key on. You've talked about revisiting pricing. How often should software companies revisit their pricing and their monetization? So that's going to have a couple different answers. So, so first in periods of high inflation more often, right? Secondly, you are kind of tying it to the cadence of the production from the roadmap. So if you have a more legacy product and you're keeping it in sort of maintenance and support mode and you're you know late to the cloud and converting uh, over you know the manner by which you would touch that pricing or adjust it is very different than I'm coming out of the gate, I'm on my 20th customer. You know, that's a time of high velocity, high change, high exploration in the form of being much more agile around packaging and pricing. And so the thing to keep in mind is we always want to talk about pricing, but I think that pricing always gets glommed together with one of two other things. There's licensing and pricing, which says, do I charge by user? Or do I charge by the number of transactions? And that, that means that depending on what I pick in the quantity field of my contract that I'm going to put and multiply by the list price and size of the deal, right? That has to be very realistic or we end up with these gargantuanly sized list prices and buyers are like, I don't know what you're smoking, but we're not, we're not really going to talk right now because we're not going to write you a check for 22 million a month. Right. Those are real examples that software companies struggle with. If you think about packaging, then the pricing that we're talking about it's the offer, right? So what are you offering? Well, if you don't know what it is you're offering it, boy, is it really hard to attach a price point because does it include these services or not? Does it include these features or not? And you kind of have to anchor that down before you can attach a price. Otherwise, I think many listeners could relate to conversations where you feel like you have it all anchored down and somebody comes in and says, well, I know we have like a one size fits all offer, but should we do a good, better, best? Because I read a Wall Street Journal article that says if you give somebody like a false option in the middle, like they're more, you know, uh, they'll more oscillate over to buy the upper, which is BS, by the way, that doesn't work in B2B. But, but in general, then the conversation ensues of, well, now you just change what it was that you were offering. So any conversation you had on price point is somewhat meaningless, right? And so the other big lesson learned is I think the price point discussion, the, 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 the economic thing that you're so interested in, which is the output of what, what all these discussions are going to be like, actually shouldn't start first, right? Because wow. everything else can change. So, so you kind of want to tuck that in the back. So the, the discipline that we're talking about under the, the software business model is how do you think about licensing that as a set of frameworks? And that's different problems. How do you think about packaging? That's a whole different ball game. You know, we have a whole separate teams that do that. And then we have uh, pricing, which is the modeling and the mechanics and the price point setting and the optimization and sort of how do we understand what truly our value is and, you know, what does this look like uh, a year from now or two years from now as we start building more things because the things that you're building can radically impact sometimes the value that you create. And you really want to get a hold of that. And 
sort of rounding out since we're talking about mistakes, you know, I, I gave away a lot of value. I, I remember um, we called it the uh, UDF. Uh, this was the biggest cluster I've ever been through uh, on a software company. So a user defined field. We were serving interior uh, products, mostly uh, in the cabinetry and related, you know, cabinets, countertops, marble, hardware, flooring kind of stuff. And actually flooring was really kind of later. So it's just think of your kitchen and all the stuff that you would do surrounding that. And it's a configuration challenge. Not many people realize that you can do a lot of things in the kitchen. It's like measured now on par with the grains of sand on earth with the number of choices that you can make because you can color cabinets and glaze them and reduce their or raise their depth, uh, their height and reduce their depth and all the, all this stuff. And in that problem set that we were looking at is this idea that, um, we could scale the engine to other categories. And in fact, during the 08 market crash, that's what we did. So there, we had a customer, they were carrying appliances out here in Wilmington. And they said, you know what, if you, if you could just give me a, a user defined field to store, you know, this uh, serial number, like I could, the whole software works. And we were like, oh, that's great. So in goes the request. This is a product management nightmare, by the way. In goes, <laughs> in goes the request for a user defined field. Three months later, I'm traveling around selling everybody on the new cloud edition and I look at the demo of what comes out in the product and it's like you can build any field you want of any type drop down list boxes and you can structure they can be required they can and remember the original quest right very simple um, it's tied into our workflow engine it was tied into the report it, it was like Rolls Royce gold plated you know nightmare kind of stuff it was amazing but like not what we a hundred times more than what we needed For and sure. that flowed out to our customers and we didn't have that monetization checkpoint that basically mm. said like maybe if we kind of thought more about packaging we could have stopped that and that maybe was better presented as an optional component for a percent upcharge or a flat fee or something that drove more revenue and so the cost of not treating pricing with the discipline is quite high so it sounds like you should have a lot of your your teams communicating with each other. You know, if if customer success or support hears about something, they get it over to the product, product builds it, they throw it out, maybe they should have run through whoever's on monetization, sales, marketing, whoever it is, to make sure, hey, maybe we should put this in one of our higher packages, make it an add-on, up the pricing overall. It sounds like that's what what should happen, right? Yeah, and you're so you want an owner and it doesn't have to be like you hire a whole new team. Like if you're a smaller stage software company, a few million in revenue, the odds of you hiring a full-time person for this is remote. But having a clear owner such that like if you're the founder and I'm maybe on sales and there's somebody else on legal, like maybe the triumvirate kind of treats it as a discipline and we have very distinct kind of roles there. But your original question around, you know, how often should you change pricing? I just want to tie that back to it's how often to really change packaging mm. is another part of that. And of course, when the roadmap is delivering lots of stuff early on, you want to turn that wheel a little bit faster and changing the pricing doesn't always have to be that you change the list price. People sometimes say, well, if I change my pricing, I got to go update the website. What we're talking about is changing the way net prices are calculated. And there's this, this, um, philosophy and pragmatic underpinning that we, you know, really will tell you the the performance when you adhere to a thing called market fairness pricing is exquisite. If you fall into the trap of the 90s where 
hey, Matt, that looks kind of like a nice shirt. So I think I'm going to charge you a little bit more in the form of less of a discount for your purchase. And somebody else tomorrow buys the exact same thing. And maybe they get a little bit more of a discount because their shirt wasn't as nice or for whatever reason, customers now have the tools and the abilities, buyers to uncover that. And when they see that other person got the discount, they're armed with that on with your salespeople by saying, hey, they're just going to shred the sales team's ability to defend price because they have a price point from, in this case, another buyer that mm -hmm. got a special deal. And so market fairness pricing just says, pragmatically speaking, when I come in, I want to trust that I'm getting the price. So discounts are earned. They're not given. We can show you the customer how they're earned how you earn incentives and we adhere to uh, market fairness in the sense that for that offer and that volume, that net price is the net price. Now you might have a sales promotion and customers will withstand a reasonable variation, but they will not stand. You got an 80% discount and I'm being quoted a 25% discount. That's just sure. the stuff that really shuts down the sales process real quick. Yeah, that makes sense. What, but that implies what you need some discipline, right? You need some structure for pricing and packaging. For sure. Yeah, absolutely. I would agree with that. What advice would you have for early stage software leaders thinking about their pricing? And what, what, what should they be focused on with monetization and pricing? Well, the, the, the idea that you might be able to upfront understand all the ramifications of your value as it relates to the customers. I'm sure everybody's familiar with the term willingness to pay is really quite abused in software. And people forget that software is an experienced good. It's not like a car and there's a lot of similarities. The code bases can be quite different on-prem versus cloud, for example. And so you don't really know what you're willing to pay for software until the behavior starts to change around the software and I as the consumer of the software start collapsing more and more workflows into the software as my organization changes to make room for the software to generate more ROI or more mm -hmm. return for the, I'm extracting value from the software and I'm returning that value back somehow in my ecosystem of my buyers, my, my customers. And so once you understand that, which is, you know, rule number one, you really want to get a bead on what the, the yin and yang or the sort of scope of your impact is, then you really want to subscribe to the idea that nobody really knows the answer. And if you were to ask what you're willing to pay for this new AI engine, uh, the, the, the fork has already been stuck on that one. They don't know the answer. In fact, uh, I can't even run a conjoint analysis on you and show you a good and a better and swap out a feature because if that price changes, your human brain's going to pick up on that real quick, higher price, higher quality, lower price, lower quality. So you really want to adopt a philosophy that I'm, I want to explore my, I want to continually explore my value and have a process by which I'll use the term max, but, but not in the negative connotation. I want to get maximum value such that it's fair to the customer for, for the exchange of money for intellectual property. And I want to do that at the maximum rate and as defined max max defined as I don't want to unnecessarily create sales friction in the dialogue where I'm slowing down the, the sort of flywheel of the deal velocity. You know, I don't want to get such a premium price that my deal velocity, instead of doing five deals at, you know, in a time frame, I'm only doing one. It's it's like the idea that software is about scale. You know, you can literally 
scale that thing unbelievably with you're not manufacturing parts and things like that. And so you really want to crank the flywheel at a high velocity such that um, your early access pricing is designed in a way that uh, you're not inadvertently slowing down new customer acquisition because the, and it's not just price, it's really a lot of times not the price. It's actually more the licensing or the packaging. Like for example, let's say that you're in the AI space and we want to sell to, oh, I don't know, think of a, uh, I'm going to make up a gas station conglomerate and we have an AI facial detection algorithm. What's really common in that space is I'm going to, I'm going to charge you based on the time that the, uh, the number of times the model runs. So now, I, as the customer, show up and say, well, that's great, Matt. You want to charge me the number of times that the model runs, but I have 247,000 cameras across the U.S. on a mix of 24 by 7, and some of them are just night vision. So, like, what's my bill? And you don't really know how to answer that. So, in that example, the licensing that you pick was so unknowable that your buyers will be like, well, that that's not acceptable. I'm not going to just... Mm-hmm carte blanche let you in for a 200 grand budget knowing that my bill could be 2 million so that's right. like a that's a licensing issue right that has nothing to do with price point that's a light packaging issue could be you know i know you have a good and a better and a best but i'm looking at your better and it frankly doesn't look like anybody would use it because it was fabricated and the best has too much stuff in it and i don't want it so i don't want to pay for it so now i've got all that friction to contend with which is well you're giving me an offer and i get that i have access to your APIs, but I don't need that. And I'm never going to use that. So I'll close today. Can I please have a discount? So that's, this is what we call partial use argument. Mm -hmm. And so that's a packaging problem, right? That doesn't have to do with the price point. It just has to do with what you put in the kitty is too much crap and they don't want it. And nobody wants to pay for stuff they're not going to use. I mean, there is, I'm okay with a little bit extra, but not like tons extra. And Mm -hmm. so there's a lot of nuances to thinking through that. And I think that going slow to move fast as we think about licensing and packaging and pricing and early on, especially being very open to how customers want to buy is really important because you could have a great technology, but if your consumption strategy is untenable, it's not going anywhere. And, it, and that's of course a failure rate that that founder may not realize where the problem lies. So problem identification True. is really, really crucial. Yeah, I would, I would agree. I Sadly, we have reached our time, but this has been amazing. I mean, the amount of depth that you've gone into here, Chris, for us is fantastic. <laughs> I love how you've covered everything. You've made it really clear. I want to make sure that people can get in touch with you and get to know more about what you're doing. What, what are the best ways to uh, learn more about what you guys are doing? Uh, softwarepricing.com. Okay. That's easy. Softwarepricing.com. That's so awesome. You have that URL, by the way. Uh, Everybody out there, softwarepricing.com. We'll put that, by the way, in the show notes so everybody can click it easy, but really simple to get there. Chris, this has been awesome. Thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing all this. Yeah. Happy to do it again, Matt. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Everybody out there, thank you for coming. Make sure you're subscribed to the show. You don't want to miss any amazing leaders and innovators like Chris. So hit that subscribe button so you'll be able to get all of that notified to you so you can get to each of these shows. But thank you so much for coming. Really appreciate it. We'll see you next time. Take care.